Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, and European football expert Kevin Hatchard as the big names and the big games reach the big stage. England not making any headway. Now Calvin Phillips will try and make a run to split the lines and he's not well, he receives the ball and he turns inside, he slips it in, it's Sterling! And England are off and running! Benzema lays it off to Pogba. Pogba just floats the ball out to the left-hand side of the box, driven across, leaving it back by, it's an own goal! Hummels has turned it into his own net and he looks to the sky in despair! And with us as always is TalkSport's Alex Crook, who is in Scotland ahead of their meeting with England. I am. I'm sat here in my Yes Sir We Can Boogie t-shirt. I tell you what, it's a grey and miserable morning though in Glasgow, really echoing the mood of the Scotland fans after that game. And I think there's a lot of trepidation going into the match at Wembley on Friday. (laughs) And I'm in the sunny south getting a suntan. Plus we're in Baku as Wales rise to the occasion. Corner kick is taken and Bale again breaks into the penalty area. Bale is still going, plays it short. Yes! Shot in! And Wales have done it! Wales have won this game by two! Goals to nil! What a victory! And we'll reflect on Portugal's victory, and Germany's defeat, another Ronaldo record, all on the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And we are off to Baku very shortly with reaction from our team on the ground. Hey, Alex, you're right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited for Friday. Oh, that's good. Uh, Kev, you're right. Yeah, tremendous. What a great tournament it's been already. It really, really good has. Fun. It's been it's been absolutely uh, intoxicating. It's pulled you in. We've had some great moments, haven't we? A lot of them camp coming in the second half of matches. Um, what's been your highlight so far, Kev? I would say Goran Pandev's goal for North Macedonia. I know it was in a losing cause, but when you think that this is a guy who scored his first international goal in 2002... Uh, one of the Ukrainian defenders he'll come up against in the second match wasn't even born then. So it shows uh, how he's uh, really given his, his life to the cause. And it was such a proud moment for him, a proud moment for North Macedonia. And I just thought that was great. Unless Scotland win on Friday night, Crook, they're going to be up Schick's Creek uh, without a paddle. Um, how, how did the uh, the big goal go for you, by the way? Oh, what a moment. Um, my first ever game commentating at a major tournament on site. And I think I probably peaked um, with that goal. Is it a goal in the tournament now? It, because the, the last time you were on, you, you said there's definitely <laughs> it was definitely going to be... What goal was it that you picked? It was uh, Yarmolenko. I don't Yarmolenko. know if I, I, don't know if I used the word definite. I, don't I think know if you said it was going to be goal of the tournament. I think you did. I, 
I think that is was goal of the tournament uh, from Schick. It's the best goal that I've ever commentated on live. But in terms of my highlight, actually, it wasn't on the field. It was off the field. Last night, sat in a nice Spanish tapas restaurant and Chris Uelamu decided to order everything off the menu. Jim White's face, his eyes were almost popping out of his head. <laughs> we could have fed an entire country. Have you done anything apart from go out and eat in a group every single day? <laughs> have you taken any other cultural tours? No, we had a brief walk around... Uh, George Square on Sunday. Sounds when I like you need arrived. a long walk, Alex. Not a brief one. <laughs> I have been. I have been running down by the Clyde every morning. <laughs> when you say running, how long have you been going for? Two miles, yeah. Usual. Two miles, yeah. yeah just two, two miles, miles, yeah. Fifteen. Ticking over. Ticking over. <laughs> Good stuff. Right. Talking of ticking over, so are the days of this tournament. We've got a huge clash this Friday night live on Talksport as Scotland come to town. Taking nothing away from England's performance, which I thought was over the piece, was, was very, very good. Croatia looked a little bit like an aging side, a little bit. So if you're asking me right now, you know, our, our best opportunity was getting three points against the Czech Republic, but that's not to say we can't get three points on Friday or certainly three points on the Tuesday against Croatia at Hamden. Armstrong infield to Hendry. We might shoot again here, Hendry from distance. I'm not sure it was the right idea. And the ball bounces for Schick, who shoots from the halfway line. Oh my word! What a goal from Patrick Schick! He spotted David Marshall off his line. And from just inside the Scotland half, he lifts it over the frailing goalkeeper and into the net. Agony for Scotland. Well, the main message for us is to, is to treat it like another game, if we, we play with too much emotion and passion, then we might end up going against us, we might end up with 10 men in the park. So we will not be phased, not one bit, going down there. We've all had experience of big games, whether that's in Scotland or in England. So we'll be ready for Friday and, and hopefully get a better result than, than Monday. England not making any headway. Now Calvin Phillips will try and make a run to split the lines, and he's so well, he receives the ball and he turns inside, he slips it in, it's Sterling! and running, Calvin Phillips has made it, Raheem Sterling puts it away, his first goal at a major tournament for England and if he was a man who had a question mark over his place in the starting lineup, well he has just answered his potential critics, an excellent England move, Sterling with the sharpness Phillips breaking the lines England with the lead In football everyone wants to beat everyone but there's some games where you know the there's, there's how the game's actually being played and then there's the atmosphere and, and the crowd and how much you actually want to wanna win. Um, it all comes together and it, there was just something unique about, about that game. It's similar to the games that I've played for, for club, you know, against like City and, and Liverpool, them type of games, you have, you have a different, it's a different feeling. Um, you can't really put, put a finger on it about what's different because as a player you, you approach every game the same. But just to build up the, the fans, the, the energy, it's, it's a unique game and I'm definitely looking forward to, to it. Straight away, you know, the difficult times, the climate, the way that it is, this is exactly what the, the nation needs. You know, you talk about communities, societies, this is exactly what it needs.
It is a game that conjures images of a blonde bombshell scoring a cracking goal. We would love to see that again on Friday, wouldn't we? Uh, 1977, 1981 and 1999, the only times that Scotland have beaten England at Wembley in the last 50 years. So they need to get something out of Friday night's game with the old enemy because otherwise they're going to find themselves in peril. Kevin, we know that at the last European Championships, there were teams that got through with three points, but only half of them got through with three points. So they need to get something from this game to ensure that there's still a, it's in their own hands in effect. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that final game against Croatia is going to be so tough for them anyway. So it was a really strange game, the one against the Czech Republic, because they had lots of possession, perhaps more possession than people expected. They coped quite well with the loss of Kieran Tierney, even though he's really important in terms of bringing the ball out from the back for them. Andy Robertson, I thought, played really well down that left-hand side, but they were undone by a really good collective effort from the Czechs. I thought Thomas Socek played in a very selfless way. We're used to seeing him pose a threat for West Ham in terms of scoring goals and being a genuine box-to-box player. His job was really simple, and it was stopped John McGinn from playing. He did that really, really well. Patrick Schick going into the tournament, we didn't really know if he was going to be able to sparkle. He was a bit on and off for Bayer Leverkusen at domestic level in the Bundesliga, but he delivered superbly. Um, England have shrugged off the joy of beating Croatia. They look quite relaxed and focused in the camp this week. They've talked a lot about putting that behind them, moving on to the next thing, becoming that sort of winning machine that just keeps racking up results. Would you tinker with the team, Crook? It's a difficult one. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I would. I mean, obviously, the, the big talking point going into the first game was Trippier at left-back, who didn't put a foot wrong. I know Luke, Luke Shaw spoke to the media yesterday and spoke very well, actually, about how he's managed his disappointment, uh, effectively a right-footed player coming in and taking his place in the team. But I think Trippier will, will probably start. Obviously, there's a suggestion that Harry Maguire could be fit. I still think they'll probably keep him on ice until the knockout stages. Grealish mistraining earlier this week I think it'll be very similar 11 I don't see the reason to tinker with a winning lineup I think the thing about Trippy is really interesting because obviously people will have seen him a lot in the Premier League some people will have watched him at Atletico Madrid a fair bit some people won't have done but what they'll have missed if they haven't really seen him in Spain is this incredible development as a defender and that's what Diego Simeone, one of the best defensive coaches on the planet, has been able to do with him. He's been able to work on his ability in one-on-one defending. Are the distances right? Is he in the right position at all times? Does he know when to go and when to stay? And I think we saw all of that against Croatia. And he is a player that when he's available for Atletico Madrid, he plays. Mm. And when Simeone gives you that kind of seal of approval, that means a lot. And also, I think it's worth pointing out that Gareth Southgate is pretty keen to get that message across to everybody. You know, he obviously trusts him. He's one of his warriors. But he was quite vociferous in his praise for Kieran Trippier prior to the tournament. And then in the last week, he is a defensive animal, I think is what he called Kieran Trippier. So I can understand. I can, you know, listen, I sat there on Sunday in the ground, looked at the two teams and I thought, yeah, I can understand I can understand why he's decided to do this. He's playing against a team that obviously do create down that side, have got weapons that can cause problems for Schalke coming down the, the right-hand side, was going to be a threat for Croatia. And if anybody knows him well, it would be Kieran Trippier. So, yeah, I, I, thought, it was a, I, thought, I thought it was a fascinating gamble by Gareth Southgate, in a sense, because it was 
doing something that was incredibly unpopular and went completely against the the, the tide of public opinion. But he knows what he, he, you know, he's, he's pretty convinced he knows what he's doing. And I think so it proved. Um, Roy Keane said on uh, ITV this week that he thought, look, when you look at Scotland, the quality in their ranks and compare that to the quality in the England ranks, this is a good game for England because Scotland have to come out. They have to get something from the game. They haven't really got the quality of some of the other teams in the tournament. England have. What he actually said was they will be looking forward to smashing them. Is he right? Yeah. Uh, man for man, there's a big golf in class. And if you take the emotion out of the occasion and the fact it is basically an, an international derby, England should have too much for Scotland, particularly if Kieran Tierney isn't fit. He returned to light training on Tuesday. Um, he is one of two genuinely top-class performers. Unfortunately for Scotland, they're both left-backs, um, Andy Robertson being the other. McGinn poses a threat from midfield. It'll be interesting to see him come up against Tyrone Mings and, and possibly Jack Grealish, his club teammates. But it's the top end of the pitch, really, that's the concern. Lyndon Dykes missed a hatful of chances in the warm-up game against 10-man Luxembourg. Had a couple of really good opportunities against the Czech Republic. For me, doesn't look like someone who's going to score goals at the highest level on a regular basis. I think Shay Adams will start up front, probably with Christie. Actually, I think um, Dykes will find himself on the bench. There's a big clamour here in Scotland for, for Billy Gilmore. And I think it was surprising that when Scotland were chasing something from that game in the second half against the Czech Republic, Steve Clark opted to bring on Callum McGregor and not Billy Gilmore. We know he's naturally a pragmatic coach. I don't think Scotland will go into this game all guns blazing. Could be a damage limitation exercise because you've mentioned that teams can progress with three points, but they need a decent goal difference. Scotland are already on minus two. If they were to lose three or four nil to, to England, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility, it's going to be very difficult to get out of this group, even if they beat Croatia in the final game. Kevin, um, there's a lot of discussion about how Scotland see this as more of an intense rivalry than, than England. It means much more to them because they feel as if they're sometimes disrespected and not given the, the sort of same sort of um, attention that maybe England gets. They all constantly get Premier League football rammed down their throats. And I was speaking to a former Scotland international uh, this week and he was saying to me, look, all we do is, is hear about how great the Premier League is and what's going on down in England. You know, we care about Scottish football as well. You know, what's happening in the club sides up here. Is there some suggestion that maybe it means a little bit more to Scotland than it does to England and England actually just see this as another game and there'll be a little bit less, not hyped up for it, but they'll be more in control of their emotions than maybe Scotland will be. Or is, is that probably maybe disrespecting Scotland once again? I think that's the key to the game, actually, how both teams deal with the emotion. I think you have to play the game and not the occasion. And you look at Scotland, they've done incredibly well to get to this stage. Recent history tells you that. They've taken full advantage of the way the system's been tweaked with the Nations League. They took that seriously from the get-go. They've been rightly rewarded for that. But they don't have the quality man-for-man man that England have. So what it's about for them, I think, is channeling that desire to prove a point, that's fine. You can have that, but you can't let it run away with you and you can't let 
the emotion wipe away simple defensive assignments. They'll be gutted with the first goal that they conceded against the Czechs because yeah. it was it was a set piece, second phase. They don't cut out the cross. They don't compete well enough with Patrick Schick in the air. And that was the goal that really deflated them. I know the second one killed it, but the first one was absolutely massive. They cannot afford to make that kind of mistake against England. England can't take them lightly. Well, that's what I was going to say, because the, the other danger, of course, is that England aren't as amped up as they need to be for the game well i think the interesting thing with them is that the fact that we were debating whether jack Grealish should have started whether kieran trippier should have played left back all of those things i think is a really good thing because i think what it shows you is there's competition for places i think it shows you that there isn't a set starting 11 and what that means is players have to perform and even harry kane even though we know he's a lock in that starting 11 even he's been saying look I don't feel like I'm an automatic pick. Raheem Sterling started, I thought was superb. thought his movement was great. He's running in behind. thought he was tremendous against Croatia. And that will be a dig in the ribs for some of his rivals in that squad. So I don't think England's players can afford to take this lightly on a team perspective, but also on a personal one as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting, actually, because you mentioned Harry Kane and his quotes that came out saying, you know, you'll have to ask Gareth about that, but I never look at it that way in terms of being undroppable. I suppose the only way it seems likely that Kane is going to miss a match is if Gareth Southgate looks to sort of manage his workload, should qualification from the group be wrapped up early or through injury. But managing his minutes is really important, is it, group? Yeah, and this is where the five subs comes into play as well. And I think that's going to be a big factor in this tournament. You know, the nations who've got deeper squads and England are certainly one of those. If this game is tight in the second half, if Scotland somehow have kept it at nil-nil for an hour, they've got so much quality to come off their bench. Scotland don't have that. You know, we saw the impact both psychologically and in terms of their performance it had that Tierney was missing. And even when he was looking to change the game in the second half, McGregor comes on with the greatest respect in the world, he isn't a Jack Grealish or, or a Marcus Rashford who England can bring on when defences are tired and, and Scotland probably will be emotionally drained going into that second half. It'll be interesting to see what Gareth does in the final game. If they beat Scotland and qualify, we're in a sort of World Cup scenario, aren't we, where finishing second in the group is actually more favourable for England well, than winning it? it. Why is it? I don't, I don't get this. Is it really? Well, it means they have an easier game in, in the last 16. It means okay, they go into the same side of the draw as France. Why would you want to do that? Well, because you're going to have to play Portugal or Germany in, in the last 16, if not. Would you doesn't... rather play Portugal or Germany or France? I mean, personally, I want to avoid France at all costs and hope that they have an aberration against someone and go out and you can get to the final without meeting them. That's the only way that you can win the tournament because I don't know how much you watched of the France game the other night, but I was just frightened to death by them. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, they're favourites. They're favourites for a reason. Whatever way you look at it, it's going to be very difficult for England, either in the last 16 or the last eight. But I do think if, he, if they get six points in the first two games, then he might well consider resting Harry Kane for that final match and keeping him fresh for the knockout stages. Well, you never know. And he's got a big squad and he might as well use it, hasn't he? I mean, that's, that, that's the nature of the, of, of the, of the programme. Um, any other changes you think he, he might tweak in the game? Kev, for, for the game? Is, it, is there any temptation to maybe change that midfield configuration? They expended a lot of energy in quite hot circumstances. Yeah, I think the energy will be key. I think he'll 
monitor them very, very carefully. But I think we saw against Croatia how effective that midfield was. Calvin Phillips was brilliant. Genuine box-to-box performance. But Mar- Declan Rice... Be- Bielsa's preparation and fitness training paid off, didn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely looked like a Bielsa player, put it that way. And Declan Rice, he does all the boring stuff so well. Uh, all the unfussy stuff, the positional stuff. You know, we can talk about Mbappe quite rightly. We talk about all the superstars in the tournament. He's great. He really, really is. And he's so important to that side. So I'd be interested to see if he does that. The Grealish thing fascinates me because he's, ha- he's not played much football. And I think they're very, very aware of that. And I think they'll manage his involvement very, very carefully because what we saw, I think, in some of the warm-ups was his ability to win free kicks. But he takes a lot of punishment in doing yeah. that. You know, to win the free kick, you've got to get kicked. And so he's the kind of player where that happens a lot. So I think they'll be very careful with him. I actually think what they might do is just keep him kind of on ice largely until they get to the knockouts because they will get to the knockouts. I think just a quick one on that. Should you finish first? Should you finish second? You have to try and win the group because it's about the psychology of it. Because if you start saying even internally, even not, you're not saying it publicly, even internally, Oh, do you know what? It'd be great if we avoid X, Y, Z in the last Mm. 16, that's loser talk straight away. You have to believe that you can beat whoever at the tournament. The other key thing is, is that there are obviously two routes to the final. There's the, the, the one side of the draw, the other side of the draw. If England win the group, yes, they bump into Portugal or Germany in the next phase of the competition, but that game is at Wembley. And subsequently, they have to go to Rome if they get through that and then come back to Wembley. So they'll play one game away from Wembley in the whole tournament. But if they go to the other side of the draw where they play Slovakia or Poland, whoever it is that finishes second in in the Spain group, then their next game is against France. But both those matches are away from Wembley, one in Copenhagen and then in St. Petersburg. You don't want to play France, but you definitely don't want to play France on somebody else's patch where you haven't got the home support. If you win that last 16 game, I think that's the make or break point for England. Agreed. Because I think if you win against a Portugal or a Germany in the last 16, that gives you a turbo charge because then you've beaten a major nation in a big tournament game and you suddenly believe. And once they do that, they'll puff their chests out and they'll think they can take anybody on. So I think you win the group, you deal with whatever you deal with in the last 16, and you either go out or you have a massive confidence boost going into the rest of the tournament. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. For Mbappe, here he is, corner of the area, up against Ginter, steps inside, gets it onto his right and forces Neuer to turn it wide. Pogba just floats the ball out to the left-hand side of the box, driven across the middle of it's an own goal! Hummels has turned it into his own net, it's France 1, Germany 0. Rabiot's goal again, down the left-hand side and he's onside, inside the box, Rabiot hits the post! Angle was tight, good ball into the box, Nabry over the bar, big chance Serge Nabry drove it into the turf and it just skimmed the top of the crossbar. Mbappe down the left-hand side of the area, again cutting onto his right, one dummy to shoot, put three around him and Mbappe finds the bottom corner! Fantastic goal from Kylian Mbappe, but the whistle has gone, the offside flag denies Mbappe and France. Now Mbappe in a foot race with Hummels, he's going to get past him, Hummels is running in treacle, Mbappe into the area, brought down, is that a penalty? No, he won the ball Hummels. And now Mbappe's free on the right hand side, if he can be fed by Pogba, he has been, Mbappe's inside the area, squares it for Benzema! Well I think it's 2-0, it could be offside. And it has been disallowed, the offside flag did not go up, but the decision goes against Benzema at full time in the Allianz Arena. France 1, Germany 0. Well, France beat Germany by a goal to nil. Um, I, I mean, I, even now talking about it, it doesn't feel like they only won one nil. I actually still think it's three nil. I know two goals were, were chalked off, Kev, for minimal offside. And it was quite infuriating, actually, because Kylian Mbappe um, is so rapid, so fast, has such brilliant acceleration. He doesn't need to go that split second early. And if he doesn't do that twice, it's three nil. And that probably is a fairer reflection on, on France's dominance. He's too quick. That's the problem. He said himself sometimes that he has to slow down to let his teammates catch up. I think they're a bit unfortunate with the Benzema one because Paul Pogba, who I thought was outstanding, uh, had a, a, a poor touch, which actually delayed him playing that ball through to Mbappe uh, before he crossed for Benzema. So that was a little bit unfortunate. Uh, and as you say, he's just a little bit too early in the build-up to what would have been one of the goals of the tournament. Oh, what a goal that would have been. It's like so frustrating that it didn't count. But what's amazing about them is that they've beaten a decent side, not a great side, but they've beaten them in second gear. They played within themselves. They played with control. I thought Conte was fantastic, of course. Pogba was brilliant. The, the pass uh, for Luca Hernandez to cross for Hummel's own goal was outrageously good. You look at Kimpembe, who I thought after a shaky start played really well. Rafa Varane had one of his best games for a long time. And the Germans, the reaction in Germany has been quite intriguing because there's been a kind of, oh, there, there. You tried really hard, but you were so far short of the level required. And it was all talk about intensity, about effort, about bravery, nothing about Germany's quality, nothing about their ability to open teams up. And you're quite right, Sam, 1-0. 
but I think two or three nil would have been a fairer reflection. Is it sort of like petting an older sort of relative? Because Germany's uh, starting eleven was their oldest at a major tournament <laughs> since Euro 2000 when they played against Romania. It was also what one it, of the poorest. I mean, looking at that German team when it flashed up last night before the game, I can't remember a German team as ordinary as that at a major tournament. I mean, Kev will probably know more about that, but let's, let's talk about that pass again. I mean, one of my favourite ever goals um, was the goal that Dennis Irwin scored for Manchester United against Tottenham uh, back in 1992-93 and it was the same pass from Eric Cantona that set Dennis Irwin away this one from Pogba was arguably more ingenious because he was deeper into midfield and to have the vision I mean there's a screenshot when Pogba picks up that ball and spots the pass you can't even see the player that he's trying to pick out in shot. I mean, it, it was so good. And Kev said it in, in the, the preview pod. There is something about Paul Pogba when he pulls on that blue shirt that you just don't see when he plays for Manchester United. He just comes alive. Anyway, he was, he was terrific. And that ball was, well, it was probably ball of the tournament so far. And I'll say so far because you never know what's going to happen in the next few days. And we don't want to go crookie early on things. <laughs> um, you mentioned about Germany and uh, their situation now. They obviously need to win against Portugal on Saturday, really, don't they? Because, uh, okay, they may be able to get a draw against Portugal and then beat Hungary on the final day, but you've got to be very careful in those circumstances because there, there could be a few teams that get four points. Uh, that They have to go out and look at uh, and try and win the game against Portugal. Very difficult to do, though, if you don't play with a striker. It, are people surprised by that? No, because Germany don't have a traditional centre-forward, haven't had for a while. They're not really producing that type of player. That Nobody is, are they, really? Let's be honest. No, there, there isn't a Miroslav Closer. There isn't a Mario Gomez. They don't have that type of player. I would take issue with Crookie slightly on the quality of the personnel. I don't think that's the issue. I think if you look at... The players they have, Manuel Neuer, still one of the world's best goalkeepers. Joshua Kimmich, I know played at right wing back, but I still think is a top class player. These are guys that a lot of these guys have won the Champions League in the last couple of years. A lot of these Bayern lads won everything there was to win yeah. under Hansi Flick in that season. So I don't think it's a personnel issue. So it's I a coaching a, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a coaching thing. And it feels to me as if since the debacle at the World Cup in 2018, They've effectively wasted three years because that 3-4-3 has so many problems. They still move the ball too slowly. They don't have, if you look at some of the better teams in club football, in international football, what they will do is they will make stuff look like it's off the cuff and it's improvised. It isn't. Most of it is very, very carefully rehearsed attacking patterns. Germany don't have that. Germany do not have that. They have, it's all off the cuff. Kind and, some, of flicks, and some of that, Kev, is because we talk about international managers not having enough time to work on those patterns and develop those systems of play. But this is a, a Germany team that not only haven't had the time to do it because there's a major tournament, it's international football, but because they've completely ripped up the process over the last three years. They had a group that they were using via qualification in the Nations League. And now all of a sudden they've gone back to the old guard again. So it's completely different personnel. I think, yeah, I think the muddled thinking is showcased by what happened with Hummels and what happened with Müller. Because mm. what happened was Yogi Love got rid of them and got rid of Jerome Boateng. He went to all of them individually and said, look, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for your service, but we're done. Now, 
what I believe that was, was an effort to distance himself from what happened in 2018 and give himself breathing space to say, I'm now going to develop this team. I'm now looking to the future. And he hasn't been able to do that. He's tried different formations that haven't worked. We saw that complete debacle against Spain when they lost 6-0. They lost at home to North Macedonia. And it's just a bit of a mess. And I don't think the players have massive faith that he's the man to take them forward. And he won't be the man to take them forward now because Hansi Flick will take over. And I imagine some of those players were thinking, actually... Did Hansi take over over for the rest of the tournament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it feels a little bit like that. Uh, Portugal frustrated by Hungary for so long in Budapest um, with the first sellout capacity crowd, probably the biggest we will see. Most of the big crowds we'll see will come in Budapest. Uh, But two goals in 177 seconds right at the end. Then Ronaldo scores a brilliant goal uh, just before the full-time whistle. And the picture completely changes. I always think it's really agonising when a, a team concede so late on after being brilliantly and Hungary had a goal rightly disallowed just beforehand but it's horrid isn't it when you are brilliant for 84 minutes and then a huge deflection a stupid penalty ruin your big night crook yeah absolutely it was a heroic performance from from Hungary and I think that the final scoreline probably flattered Portugal um certainly got fortuitous with the deflection as you say the penalty but I mean let's talk about the the 33 pass goal um a potential goal of the tournament contender in a very different way um, to the one that we were talking about with Patrick Schick, but beautiful nonetheless. And I was impressed with Diego Yotta actually. Um, I thought he played really well um, and, and was the player that we saw when he was fully fit for Liverpool right at the start of the season. So there's depth to this Portuguese lineup. They've given themselves a, a, a good starting point now and I think it's very difficult to make a case for Germany winning this game. Uh, Portugal, I thought, created enough chances in that first half to really have put the game to bed by half-time. Many of them fell to Diogo Jota. But there was a question that he should have squared one to Fernandes, one to Ronaldo. I've got to be honest, his movement was so fast and quick and actually his strikes weren't that bad. I thought he was well within his rights to take those opportunities. And on a different day, he would have beaten Peter Galaxi. Um, They're used to struggling in opening games of European tournaments, actually, Portugal. Five years ago, they were held by Iceland. They were beaten by Germany in 2012. They did need a little bit of help here. But they are the first team to score three goals in the final 10 minutes of a European championship match. And I think it underscores the power that they have from the bench and the depth in that squad, Kev. Yeah, and if you can bring on Andre Silva, who scored so many goals for Frankfurt in the Bundesliga this season, bring him on with 10 minutes to go. I thought that was a bit late, actually. It worked out in the end, of course. Uh, But when you can bring him on, bring Rafa Silva on, who I thought with his pace made a real difference. Bring on Renato Sanchez, who we know is such a sensational player and has had a great season for Lille, helping them win Liga. Um, It shows the depth that they have. I thought, I agree with you, I thought they made enough chances in that first half to be comfortably in front. I think you can't argue with the result. Hungary really dug in. We knew they'd be able to do that. I actually thought Portugal would win 1-0. In the end, it was obviously a a kind of more handsome victory. But it shows the pragmatism that Fernando Santos has because he was happy to play two holding midfielders. He will continue to do that. People will say, well, look at all the quality you can put on. But he wants that kind of extra screen for that back four. 
and I thought they played really, really well. And Hungary were brave, but they just don't have anything in attack. That's the big problem. Adam Soloy was a battering ram. Uh, I think people won't realise he was on Real Madrid's books at one stage, mm. and he was actually you know, more of an all-round player in his youth. Now he's a bowling ball, just smashing <laughs> people out of the way, <laughs> left, too. right and centre. He did it very well, though, didn't he? I mean, him against yeah. Pepe was a sight to behold. But this is a guy that... Uh, so at the start of the German season, he was actually told by the coach, Akin Bayerlotzer, um, we don't want you. We want you to go and train apart from the rest of the squad. The squad went on strike in support of Adam Soloy. The coach was booted, Akin Bayerlotzer. Soloy still didn't play much in the first half of the season. And then in the second, started to play and help Mainz stay up. So he hasn't played a huge amount of football across the season. And I think that energy really helped him. They're not dissimilar to, to Scotland in that Tierney was the Scottish talisman and that really sucked the life out of them. And the same with Shabozlai. I mean, I was quite confident Hungary could cause a problem in this group if Shabozlai was fit. But you know better than me, Kev, his absence is, is such a blow, even with that vociferous home crowd. But again, you, you talked about the change in the second half. I'll go back to what I was saying about the five subs and that benefiting the more powerful nations. I think that's probably why we haven't really seen a shock scoreline yet. Okay, you could argue Spain nil, Sweden nil, but most of the matches so far have gone to form. Slovakia beat Poland. Don't forget that golden uh, result. That, was that, a, didn't, that, that didn't surprise me. That was a, that was a big upset, that one. Um, let's talk about, uh, I, I tell you what, I was really pleased I wasn't doing Hungary. I don't know about you, but uh, as a commentator, the idea of having Soloy, Sholoy and Saloy all in the same team at the same time. <laughs> Cold sweat. It's like, it's like the worst thing ever. I mean, Crookie, can you imagine what it'd be like for you without that air conditioning on in your... in your, in your your? Have you fixed that, by the way? Yeah, are you still very hot? <laughs> I've got a fan. I've got oh, a fan. Okay, is it the first fan you've ever had? <laughs> Probably. Uh, right. What about Spain? They could do with someone as prolific as Ronaldo, couldn't they? Nil-nil with Sweden, uh, despite 85% possession. Uh, but Sweden had one, in particular, cracking chance, which arguably was the chance of the game. I thought Sweden played it perfectly. Uh, I thought they were compact. They didn't panic. And what they did was they left a very, very good player in Alexander Izak up top, and he caused problems. And he's not just quick along the ground. He's got quick feet and he's got a quick mind. And I think we saw that. He was able to create space for the shot that Llorente pushed onto the post brilliantly. Still not sure if it was quite going in, actually, but it was still a great piece of defending. Uh, and he threatened with that cross for Marcus Berg as well. So... Sweden, I think, will be really play pleased with the way they played. With Spain, I really felt for Alvaro Morata because he does all of the hard stuff easily and all of the straightforward stuff so poorly. And he's admitted himself there are games that he looks back on that he's played and he thinks, how did you miss that? Uh, and, you know, he'll miss these chances. He was getting a fair bit of whistling from the Spanish fans. We saw in that warm-up game against Portugal when he hit the bar late on, uh, there were chants against him. And there is a clamour, a growing clamour for Gerard Moreno to start games after the season he's had with Villarreal. I don't think Luis Enrique will panic too much. I think he'll have been pleased with the general structure, the way they pressed in the heat. Because we talk about home advantage and playing at La Cartuja is definitely home advantage for Spain. They've got that support from the fans. They've got heat that they're used to. But look at the way Spain wants to play. High press, high energy, high pressure... That's draining. That is draining to play like that. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how they cope. Also, Kev, why did they pick that stadium? Because the pitch is in an awful state. Uh, the, 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 the actual pitch is miles from 
the seating area. Yeah. Of all the arenas that you can play in in Spain, I don't think that's ideal for football. Do you? I think that's fair. Obviously, they weren't going to be there originally, so they've kind of had to scramble to some extent. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it would. There are a lot of politics at play as well, of course, in Spain. Always, uh, that's the case. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it's the best base for them. Okay, uh, Spain's last competitive nil-nil draw on home soil was in 1992 against the Republic of Ireland. But that's two. Uh, that's nil-nil with Sweden. Is is it won't cause them too much of a problem in terms of qualification, but it was a surprise uh, result. Um, I was going to ask you about any other European stories, but I suppose we should touch on the fact that Harry Kane's first game as Manchester City's brand new signing will be against <laughs> Tottenham. <laughs> I say that with tongue in cheek. Interesting that the Premier League fixtures come out and the first day of the season pitches City against Tottenham. I mean, you you kind of think someone's having a laugh there, don't you? Well, I think um, the idea that any of these fixtures are random has long been shot down. And I think the TV execs are having a bit of fun there and probably hoping that Harry Kane is a Manchester City player by the time the season kicks off. What about Chelsea, though, Sam? Are they going to be in the bottom three after the first six games of the season? Why'd you say that? It's a, it's a tricky start, isn't it? What, Crystal Palace at home? The next five matches I was talking about. Uh, mate, you've got to play everybody over the course of the season. Don't worry about it. I'm sure that there'll be teams who uh, who struggle and some that do well. I mean, it can go either way, can't it, that? Um, I suppose it depends on who the new manager is at some of these bigger clubs. I mean, Tottenham haven't got one yet. Um, Celtic have just appointed Ange Postacoglu. Everton are still looking for a manager. Crystal Palace haven't got a manager. I mean, what, what are you hearing, Crook? Because you, you've been on the managerial merry-go-round. Um, it's been a little bit like a, a, a carnival, hasn't it? One day you've got uh, you've got one name who's definitely going here, and then all of a sudden it changes. What what's the reason behind that? Do you think? Well, if it is a merry-go-round, it's certainly left me very dizzy. Do you know what? I was speaking to an executive yesterday, um, at a club, and he was saying that the reason he thinks that that, that it's, it's so difficult to do a deal with managers is because it's widely accepted there won't be as much money to spend yeah. in the transfer market this summer. So rather than ploughing their cash into new signings, clubs are determined to make sure that they spend big and, and get the right manager. I think the Everton situation is a really interesting one. We've been tracking this on TalkSport at the end of last week. It looked like Nuno Espirito Santo was, was the man for them, advanced negotiations. That hasn't really moved forward. I think he's quite a tricky customer to get over the line as Crystal Palace felt. And Rafa Benitez, from what I'm hearing, is a, is a genuine possibility now, despite his Liverpool connections, to pitch up at Goodison Park. And it, it does have echoes, doesn't it, Sam, of when he went to Chelsea and was absolutely despised I mean, it's completely by the Chelsea different. fans. It's completely different because it's the same city and um, obviously the, the, the rivalries are different. Chelsea and Liverpool at the time that Rafa was in charge of the Reds became intense rivals because they were constantly drawn against each other in the Champions League and other comp competitions. There were controversial moments and there was fallings out between the two sets of staff. So when he pitched up at Stamford Bridge, obviously it wasn't widely accepted. I don't think anyone really still accepts that he was the, the Chelsea manager, even though it was for a short period, but he was very successful. And if you've ever met Rafa, and we're lucky enough to have been in that situation where we have, he's actually a, a delight to deal with yeah. and he's very good with people. So, you know, I think if anybody can ride out that storm, it's it's him. He's a very political guy. Obviously, he, he got the Newcastle supporters on side, despite the fact that Mike Ashley... Uh, was restricting his purse strings and the fact that no other manager that's ever walked through that door has ever been able to sort of carry the support in the way that he had. He's very good at, 
uh, uh, playing the supporters and getting them on side. So if anyone can turn the tide, it will be him. He lives on Merseyside. His family are based on Merseyside. They haven't moved for years. It's a perfect appointment, really, in the circumstances. And is there a better option, really, than Rafa Benitez to take charge of that dressing room? I'm not sure there is. It won't go down with universal support on, uh, on Merseyside. There's no doubt about that. But I think from an objective point of view, it's a good appointment if, that, if it happens. Rafa Benitez suggested I needed to lose weight once. He is a delight to deal with. Rafa uh, Benitez said you needed to lose weight. <laughs> well, so uh, it was uh, a game against Birmingham, as I recall, and I was working that patch for radio. And uh, we did the, the kind of radio interview afterwards, and we were talking about uh, David Ngo, who you may remember, yeah. uh, who played up front for Liverpool. And we talked about what David Ngo needed to do uh, to improve. And he said, well, we need to get him into the gym more. And then he looked at himself, and then he looked at me, as if to suggest, just like we need to go to the gym more. And so, uh, <laughs> did you take so him up I on, on his advice? Well, Rafa Benitez is a hero of mine, so what Rafa says goes, and so I went away and lost weight. What, so, why, yes. is, why, is, why is Rafa a hero of yours? I'm a Liverpool fan, and uh, he is uh, one of our greatest ever managers. So, so would, it taint, uh, would it taint your view of him if he goes uh, across Stanley Park? I'd rather it didn't happen. Uh, I've got to be honest about that. I, I wouldn't like it at all. Um, I think Liverpool fans kind of have a oh they're there attitude towards Everton uh, you know Manchester United are seen as the big rivals and Everton um you know we want to be Everton but I think United are seen as the main kind of local rivals but I don't think Liverpool fans would like it I certainly wouldn't and uh, I'm from a family of Scousers you can't hear it with the accent but uh, I don't think they'd like it either oh interesting okay uh, let's go to Baku for Ramsey and it's turned aside at the near post here is Under down the right Yilmaz pulls out to the edge of the penalty and strikes it low and it's just wide and Danny Ward maybe got a touch on that a corner's been given it's a great run by Ramsey Ramsey with the opportunity oh he blazes it over the top Aaron Ramsey high ball forward to Ramsey who brings the ball down and Ramsey yes. scores Aaron Ramsey with a crucial goal for Wales it's been coming all the way through the first half and a hostile crowd here in Baku have been silenced by the Welsh Dragon. It is Turkey nil, Wales 1. Corner from Under is headed back into the six-yard area. It's flicked on Yilmaz over the top. Six yards out, Burak Yilmaz. Bell, though, has won it back on the far side. He will break towards the penalty area, left-hand side. He's gone beyond Shellig, and the penalty has been given to Wales. Gareth Bale rarely lets his country down, and this an opportunity to put them in control. Bale left foot oh, and oh, it's no. over the bar. Terrible penalty from Gareth Bale. Ramsey jinks away from Ihan. High cross to the far post. Bale's oh. header. And it's saved by Shakir. Breaks into the penalty area. Bale is still going. Plays it short. Yes! Shot in! And Wales have done it! Wales have won this game by two goals to nil. What a victory! Connor Roberts with the second goal. And Wales are on the brink of qualification for the round of 16.
Late on Wednesday night, Baku time, Wales won their second game of the tournament. A brilliant win in trying circumstances. Let's get to the uh, jubilant sounds of Dean Saunders and Nigel Adley, who are there. Take it away, boys. Thank you, Sam. We are still here inside the Olympic Stadium in Baku. An incredible night, a remarkable performance from Wales, beating Turkey by two goals to nil. The former Welsh striker and Galatasaray player Dean Saunders is alongside me. And Dean, where does that performance rank in Welsh football history as a whole? Well, I, I thought we played well in 2016 against Russia. We played really well in that game. We played well against Belgium. But I'm watching that game tonight. I mean, it's five years have gone by, but that's the best we've played since then. I mean, I even probably even better than that. I, I didn't expect that. We were talking before the game. We we're out here trying to work out how the game's going to go. I never seen it unfolding like it did tonight. We always rely on the big name players when we talk about Welsh football, and we talk about Ramsey. We talk about Bale. Tonight, everything clicked for them. They were mm. wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, we did talk about you know they've got a game under their belt, and hopefully now the first game has got him right for this game. Aaron Ramsey looked like a completely different animal tonight. Bale. I mean, he's, Dan James makes Bale look slow. He's that quick. And tonight, it was just a simple tactic that, that was just working time after time. Chalchik, the right, the, the right back, was marking Dan James, who was on the touchline on the left wing. Connor Roberts, on the opposite side of the pitch, bombs on. Bale comes deep, picks his head up, and the gap between the centre-back and, and the right-back, Ramsey just kept running straight through it. But because Dan James is so quick, the right-back was frightened to go in too far in case the ball went over his head to Dan James. Because Dan, Dan James's pace was scaring the life out of him. So Bale was just going, which one of you shall I hit? Which one? You? And he kept picking Bale, uh, Ramsey out. He should have scored four. He scored a good goal. But Aaron Ramsey tonight, all-round performance, man of the match for me. And we were here before the game. At the start of the game, it was hostile. The fans were firmly uh, in Turkey's favour. But some young players tonight and some young players who don't play at the highest level, they really grew up and stood up, didn't they? Yeah, Morel, Joe Allen. Joe Allen's not fit, but got through the game tonight. Morel was excellent. Hardly give the ball away. Won some interceptions, cleared two off the line. Connor Roberts scores a goal, stands up the plate. Roden, magnificent. Mepham. We, you know, he was under pressure today going into this game. He's playing against Yilmaz and they handled him. He got on the end of a few things at times. He's always been a dangerous player. And then you look up the other end, Kiefer Moore, done the job. You know, people are looking at him going, who's this guy? Looks a bit like Oliver Giroud. But I think he's like getting his own sort of personality. He was up on his feet at the end of the game. But in that working unit that we've got and that spirit of being a small country and underdogs, with a, a, a thousand fans in the corner against 30. I think it obviously helped us to say it's us against the rest of the world. And we kicked off. From the kickoff, we were looking at each other, me and you, thinking 15 minutes in, we were playing like Barcelona. It was unbelievable. And now, Rome on Sunday, live on Talk Sport at five o'clock. For these young players, for Rob Page, the interim manager, it is a fantastic game to have with four points on the board. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the two centre-backs, Benucci and Cellini, I mean, if they have got a weakness, we'll see tonight. Let's see if uh, them two Switzerland strikers who caused us so many problems, especially in Bolo, let's see how the two centre-backs cope with them. 
because we have got when you look at it now we have got players who can get down the sides of them if they lack pace or if they come into the end of their careers and there's a little bit of a weakness they're going to get found out against pace and we've got it just finally as a Wales fan which we both are let's be honest mm. where does tonight rank for me it's pretty much up there with Belgium well I mean we both enjoyed the 2016 Euros and like what a ride that was and then this is a different team so we didn't have as much expectation of this team because eight of the players that were in the one in 2016 have retired or left and we were sitting there tonight and we did not play like that in the first game anywhere near it that performance the level of football that we were playing at and the way we were cutting through them we didn't see it coming so I'm going to say that is up there with the best performance we've ever, we've had since since probably Chris Coleman took over Thanks a lot, Dean. Sam, great night here in Baku. And Wales will move on to Rome on Sunday. Cheers to Dean Saunders and to Nigel Adley and good luck to Wales. That's it from us. We're back with Trevor on Monday. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Cheers, Sam. Um, And we'll look ahead on uh, Monday to the final set of group games and reflect on whatever happens at Wembley. You know you'll still be talking about it then. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.